1 Kings 20. And I sure am looking forward to that day when Christ does return and He will make all things new. And as I mentioned this morning, there will be no more death, no more, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, nothing. Uh, it will all be peace with Christ. And I pray that uh, tonight it is well with your soul and that you have that hope and that peace. First Kings 20. Uh, just again, maybe to kind of help recap and remember uh, what we looked at a couple weeks ago. We saw Elisha's call to ministry. And remember, Elijah encountered uh, Elisha, who was a wealthy farmer, and he called him to do the work of God with him. And Elijah, or Elisha rather, was uh, fully committed. And we know that, that he willingly left his prosperous life. And he said goodbye to his family, and he even destroyed his farming tools. And uh, as we looked at that, we highlighted the disciples' commitment to Jesus Christ. And we emphasized the need to be fully committed to God's call, even if it involved sacrifice. And again, today we need to be committed to Christ, whether it be in ministry or service or forsaken comfort. And now we're moving on here to, to chapter 20. And this chapter is really a war-saturated chapter. There's a lot of war in it. Uh, but in, um, in the midst of all the war in this chapter, we find the grace of God on full display. And you know, the grace of God has been evident in the lives of many people from the very beginning. From Adam and Eve, all the way through the years, to now in our present time. And you know, I, I was thinking during that whole time when we were praying, it's only by the grace of God that any of us are saved. I want you to know that. Nobody here is any better than anybody else. We are only saved by the grace of God. I recently read about uh, a man whose life reinforced that truth. And um, this man, he lived in the early, well, in the, in the 1700s, early 1800s, and he was known for being a notorious uh, slave trader. And he would navigate trade routes from Africa to the Americas, and he treated humans as merchandise. And in the middle of one of his trades, he encountered a life-altering moment where he was caught up in a terrible storm and he almost perished. But in, that, in a moment of desperation, he cried out to God for mercy and he was delivered from death. He gave his life to Christ from that very moment on. And he was a committed disciple of him. He rejected his past life. He rejected his former work, realizing that being a slave trader was a wicked life to live. And he forsook his, his former life and he embraced a new path as a minister of the gospel, an, abo an, an abolitionist. And many of you would know who that is, and that's John Newton, who wrote that song, Amazing Grace. And we're going to sing that tonight. But that, that story teaches us the power of God's grace and His ability to, to change a hardened heart. And the grace of God was no doubt on display in the salvation testimony of John Newton. The grace of God's been on display in your salvation testimony as well. And the grace of God, again, is on full display in our text in 1 Kings chapter 20. So let's go ahead and begin uh, by looking at the demand of King Ben-Hadad. If you would, look at verse 1. It says, And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together 
And there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria, and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine. Thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. So we see that this chapter starts off with Israel in big trouble. The king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, he, he gathers his armies as well as 32 kings from surrounding countries with one goal in mind, and that is to overthrow Israel. And let me ask you this, does that not sound familiar? It's been happening for years, hasn't it? These kings, they, they surround Israel and they launch an attack on Samaria, which was the northern uh, kingdom of Israel's capital. And Ben-Hadad, uh, the king, he was leading this charge and he sends an ambassador, a messenger, to tell, uh, by the way, the evil King Ahab. Let me, and let me, let me just stop right there. Remember, King Ahab is evil. Okay, just remember that. He's not a good guy. I mean, he was married to Jezebel. Okay, so that, if that doesn't tell you something, then nothing will. He was not a good guy. And he, he sends an ambassador, Ben-Hadad sends an ambassador to Ahab and tells of his, his plans to, to seize, uh, seize his people and all their silver and gold in hopes that uh, he would surrender. And King Ben-Hadad said that, you know, all of your silver and all of your gold, all of your women, all of your children, they are mine. All of them are mine and I'm going to come get them. I'm going to come get all of it. So prepare to give it up. Now, one would think even though uh, there was a lot of evil in Ahab's heart, one would think that despite the fact that the Israelites were likely outnumbered and with fewer resources because, again, 32 kings were ganging up on them, you'd think that Ahab would have enough sense to defend his people. You would think that he would have some regard for human life. No way he would willingly hand over the lives of women and children, would he? No, that's wrong. Instead, he compromised. Look at verse 4. It says, And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. <laughs> so this is Ahab's response. Take whatever you want. Just take it. You're my lord. I'm, I'm, I'm your servant. So Ben-Hadad had promised to come against Israel with horses and chariots in verse 1. And Ahab feared that his horses and his chariots and his, his, his men uh, were going to overthrow them as horses and chariots were indeed a, a display of human strength. But Ahab failed to remember that true strength is found in God, not in man's might. Now he should have remembered the incredible power that God displayed. Remember on Mount Carmel? When Elijah called down fire? You'd think that he would remember because he was there. But instead, he feared men more than God. And his prayer, he should have been the prayer of David in Psalm 20, if you would go there. Look at Psalm chapter 20. This should have been his mindset, knowing what he knew, seeing what he had seen. Look at Psalm 20, verse 7. And David wrote this, and he said in verse 7, and again, he was a king, so he knew what it meant to have power and might from men. In verse 7 it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Ahab should have remembered that you cannot trust in chariots, you cannot trust in horses, but instead you can trust the Lord. And we can learn a really valuable lesson from this today. 
Our trust cannot be placed in our possessions. It cannot be placed in our money or in our careers. It has to be placed in the God of heaven. And if we lack faith in God, just as it did with Ahab, it will lead to spiritual compromise. You know, Ahab's lack of faith in God, it, it led to this compromise. He just gave up. He, he did not have trust in God at all. He looked at the strength of the enemy, and he saw his own lack of military strength, and he did not consider the strength of God. And truly, in agreeing to do this and saying, okay, uh, King Ben-Hadad, you can have all the women and children and everything, he went against God. You know why? Because God never would accept handing over women and children to evil men to do whatever they wanted. So he went against God. He clearly had fear of man issues. And it led him to be disobedient to God. Now, I want you to consider tonight, before we believe ourselves to be holier than Ahab, consider how often do we do exactly what he did. How often are we controlled by the fear of men instead of the truth of God? I believe the, the spirit of compromise is all over the place in America. The majority of people, they do not see sin to be a big deal. Uh, sin is, even though sin is a terrible offense to our gracious God, and yet people flaunt their sin. They live their own way like it doesn't matter. But think about this. Do you stand against sin in a world that celebrates it and promotes it? Are you controlled by the fear of men? Or are you controlled by God? Do you base your standard of morality on the opinions of man? Or the truth of God? Ahab just gave up. And I would say a lot of Christians, they just give up. When there's pressure... And we fear man, a lot of times we're not being controlled by God. I would say a large majority of uh, Christians are controlled by the fear of man when it comes to the gospel. Wouldn't you? you know, Christians that are silent with the gospel, you know why they're silent most of the time? Because they fear man more than they fear God. A lot of times Christians are afraid to hand a tract to somebody or hold a, a gospel sign and give them a Bible. Or tell their co-worker about the gospel or even just simply invite them to church because they're Afraid of looking foolish or being thought of as a lower class more than they are concerned about being obedient to God. But may God help us to boldly proclaim the truth rather than compromise. Compromise of God's truth only leads to destruction and disobedience. And in the case with Ben-Hadad and Ahab, it led to excessive greed. If you would go back uh, to 1 Kings 20 and look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 here. It says, And the messengers came and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver unto thee, uh, deliver me thy silver, thy gold, and thy wives, and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house, and the house of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hands and take it away. Then, the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives, and for my children, and for my silver, and my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders, and all the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consents. So we see here that taking the Israelites and, and, and Ahab's uh, silver and gold and women and children, that was not enough for Ben-Hadad anymore. <laughs> he wanted more. 
He wanted to go into the servant's house and take anything that, that had any value. And he promised to raid every uh, one of their homes and take whatever it was that he wanted. Now, Ben-Hadad was probably thinking, well, you know, Ahab willingly allowed me to, to do the last thing. So I can just continue to stop all over him. And he's not even going to put up a fight. He, he just gave in to my last demand. So I might as well try to get more. But this time, something went off in Ahab's brain. And he decided... To meet with the elders. Now these elders would be leaders of prominent families across Israel. That were entrusted with overseeing daily affairs and administering justice. And as we read, what, what was their response? Do not do it. Say no. Do not hearken unto him. And as we'll see, Ben-Hadad's covetousness and his greed would lead to destruction and defeat. Somebody had to wake up, I guess. <laughs> but Ben-Hadad's covetousness and greed, it would lead to destruction and defeat. And listen, this is exactly where greed always brings us. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And look at verse 10. Read a couple verses here. This is such a true, true statement here in verse 10. It says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? You know what that's in essence telling us, church? Those that are consumed with increase and gain, they will always be consumed with it. They will never be satisfied. They will constantly be in pursuit of fulfillment in material possessions, but their fulfillment will never, ever come. And you know why? Because true satisfaction can only be found in Jesus Christ. It can never be found in material possessions. It can never be found in silver and gold. It can never be found in money. It can never be found in material things. And if, you're, if you are pursuing after gain and you are consumed with it, I urge you to end that fruitless pursuit and instead pursue after Jesus Christ. Ben-Hadad, his greed, it would lead him to defeat. And again, it always leads to defeat. And we see the first step of Ben-Hadad's defeat in the defiance of Ahab. If you would go back to 1 Kings 20 and look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Ben-Hadad thought that uh, Ahab was just going to lay down without a fight, but he was wrong. Look at verse 9. Wherefore he said unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that thou didst uh, send for to thy servants at the first I will do. But this thing... I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. And Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. And look at verse 11. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. And it came to pass when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he was drinking, he and the kings in the pavilions. That he said unto his servants, set yourselves in array, and they set themselves in array against the city. So Ahab, he, he sends Ben-Hadad's uh, messenger back with this message. It's not happening. You're not doing this. 
I'll, I'll allow you to do what you initially said, and I'll give you your initial demands, but nothing further. I'm not, it's not happening. So upon this news, Ben Haddad, he was obvious, I, I think it's pretty clear he was in a drunken rage here, and uh, he angrily promised to grind Israel to dust. He promised to crush them. And in verse 11, as we just read, Ahab's response was in essence, Hey, listen, don't be so sure of victory. Don't boast about your victory before the battle begins. Or if, to put it in modern day terms, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Right? But considering what Israel had for resources, and again, considering what they were up against. I mean, think about this. They were up against 32 kings. 32 different countries' resources. Considering what they were up against... This would kind of be like a, a high school JV basketball team facing off against the NBA. Some team in the NBA and professionals. All these resources and all these people against Israel. So it, it kind of looked like all was lost for Israel. Like there was no chance that Israel could win. And Ben-Hadad sure thought that victory was sure, didn't he? he I mean, he's just drinking in the pavilion and he's just having a good time socializing with uh, these other kings and his friends. Uh, the, he thought, hey, look, the battle's, the battle's lost for Israel. We got this. We're going to win. We're going to grind them to dust. But I want you to also, again, remember that King Ahab is evil. Okay? I'm going to keep reminding you of this. Knowing Ahab's evil heart, I think most would say, maybe even many of us here tonight, most would say, you know what? Ahab had it coming to him. He deserves to have his country looted. He deserves to have everything burned. He deserves to be destroyed. He deserves to die. But you know what? Despite what Ahab deserved, God, in His grace, made a very incredible promise to him. Look at verse 13. And behold, there came a prophet who was a messenger of the Lord unto King Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude Behold, I will deliver it into thy hand this day. Hey, listen, let's just stop right there. You talk about mercy. You talk about undeserved favor. You talk about incredible and amazing and unmatched grace. God made a promise that he would win this battle over Ben-Hadad and the other two, 32 kings. Now again, consider the fact that Israel was neck deep in idolatry. Consider the fact that Ahab had previously sought to kill Elijah. Consider the fact that he turned Israel uh, against God. He worshipped Baal. He practiced idolatry which God absolutely hated and he does hate today. He did all those things. So the question must be asked, why? Did God do this? What did, did Ahab do to deserve this promise from God that you will be delivered? What did Ahab do? Nothing. He did nothing. You see, God promised to deliver Ahab, not for Ahab, but for his own glory. Look at verse 13. Look at the end of verse 13. The part I didn't read there. Well, it says right there, I will deliver it unto thy hand this day, and look what it says, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. You'll know that I am the Lord. So God promised this victory to the Israelites so that everybody would know his power and know his might. 
He would win this battle for Israel for his own glory. And he says in verse 13, Hey, do you see how large this battle, the, the, the enemy is? you see all these men that are coming against you? Do you see how, how many people are fighting against you? It does not matter. I am going to win it for you so that everybody will know that I am God. Now, for God to promise victory in the face of such a heavyweight king in Ben-Hadad to such a wicked man as Ahab and an adulterous uh, Israelite was an extreme act of grace. And this grace would indeed bring glory to him. And all that would see this victory, they would not be able to deny that it was of God. Again, they were outnumbered, and we'll see more about this next week probably, uh, but they were outnumbered, they had fewer resources, and they were powerless uh, in the sight of men, but guess what? They had God on their side, and there was nothing else that they could do about it. And this is a great picture of what we have in the promise of salvation. You know, in the mercy and grace of our great God, He is glorified. In the lives of His people that have trusted on Him for salvation... And those of us that have had the grace of God bestowed in our lives uh, to give us salvation, He is glorified. Just think about this, okay? To know that God took you and I, sinful and wretched people that deserve nothing but eternal suffering in hell. And by the way, every one of us here deserves that. To know that that's what we deserve and to know that if we are his child, then he gives us a seat at his heavenly table. That is praiseworthy. To know that God has taken us out of the miry clay and he's taken us out of the filth of sin and he's washed us as white as snow and he's given us salvation is worth praising God over. It is worth giving glory to God. Now think about this. God, did he not have every right to leave Israel and let them die and let them be destroyed without his help? Absolutely. He had every right to do that because he is God. And yet, God was rich in grace. And he showed that grace to Ahab and Israel by promising this victory. And know today, church, that God has every right to leave you and I And to allow us to just die in our sins and suffer in hell. He has every right to allow us to suffer in a terrible hell and to experience eternal death. But yet, God, who is rich in mercy and who is rich in grace, He has promised eternal life to all that would just trust on Him. And if you have trusted on Christ tonight, thank God for it. Man, you ought to be so grateful. And you ought to respond to it daily. Respond to His grace every single day with perpetual gratitude. Respond with faithfulness to God. His grace on our life should lead us to be faithful to Him. His grace should lead us to faithfully seek Him in daily prayer and time in His Word like we talked about this morning. His grace should lead us to sacrifice for Him, to serve Him wholeheartedly with everything that we have. It should lead us to have an ever-increasing love for Him. How can, you, how can you see what God has done for you and not love Him more? And if you're here tonight and you've not trusted on Him, you need to do so tonight. In His long suffering, He graciously has given you life and breath. And if you're here tonight and you've not been saved, I want you to know, you still have life and breath, that means you can still be saved. God is giving you another chance. 
Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And many of you probably know this verse, but 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you grateful that we have a God that is not, He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all men to be saved. God was long-suffering with Ahab, again, showing him grace upon grace upon grace. And if you're here tonight and you've not trusted Christ for forgiveness of your sins, then God is extending His grace to you right now, so won't you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? You may think, well, you know what? I have nothing to stand on. I'm a great sinner. My heart is evil and I'm unable to do good and gain forgiveness from God. Hey, listen, if that's where you are, I want you to know tonight you are exactly where you need to be. Ahab, he had nothing to stand on except for the promise of God's grace. And when we come to God, we have nothing to offer Him and we have nothing to stand on except for His grace. And if you trust Him tonight and He will keep His promise. He will forgive you. He will save you. He will fulfill every promise and every word that He has written just as He did for Ahab. And let's look at that. Let's look at the promise He fulfilled back at 1 Kings chapter 20. And look at verse, we'll start with verse 14 and we'll look at verse 15 as well. Verse 14 and 15 here it says, And Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus saith the Lord even by the young men of the princes and provinces. Then he said, Who shall order the battle? And he answered, Thou. Then he numbered the young men of the princes and the provinces, and they were 232. And after them he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. So Ahab, after he's told, Hey, God's going to give you this victory. Ahab questioned the prophets and he says, well, who's going to lead the army to fight against Ben-Hadad? And to his surprise, the prophet said, you are. You're leading this charge. And then Ahab takes a a tally of his military and he finds 232 leaders, 7,000 young men of war. And all the while, King Ben-Hadad, he's foolishly getting drunker and drunker, which no doubt impaired his judgment. Look at verse 16. It says, and they went out at noon, but Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk. In the pavilions, he and the kings, and thirty and two kings that helped him. And the young men of the princes and provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out, and they told him, saying, There are men come out of Samaria. And he said, Whether they be uh, come out for peace, take them alive. Or whether they be come out for war, take them alive. So Ben-Hadad, he's talking foolishly. And he, he continues on with his plan to destroy Israel. And again, we, we know that Ben-Hadad, here he is, he's living a life of drunkenness and greed and violence. And just as a side note tonight, I want you to know that while these things may find you favor with fools, uh, it's a terrible way to live and it dishonors the Lord. It's wrong. But, but his actions would be costly. Because Israel was not going down without a fight. And they came against him, but more importantly, this God that's full of grace, he came against them. Look at verse 19. So these young men of the princes and the provinces came out of the city and the army which followed them 
and they slew every one his man. And the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go, strengthen thyself, and mark, and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year of the king, Syria will come up against thee. So we see here that because God was on Israel's side, they easily won the battle. Despite a lack of men, despite a lack of resources, the Israelites won this battle despite having no hope because God intervened, again, for His glory. And you know this, again, it points us to the cross of Christ. You know, while we were perishing in our sins, while all hope was lost, God intervened. And He gave us the most important victory in the most unlikely way, And that was through the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. This is the last place we'll turn. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and I want to look at verse 13. It says in verse 13 here, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hey, look, in the cross of Jesus Christ, he has given us victory. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of every single sin, past, present, and future. In the cross of Christ, He's blotted out every transgression. He's nailed it to the cross, and thank the Lord for that. Jesus Christ, who is the King of all kings, He has surpassed every single king, and He gave His life for us, and and forgave us of our sins, so that we could be saved and have victory over Satan and sin and hell. So listen, again, I say, look to Him for salvation. Look not to yourself or any other means. And again, realize, as we, we consider this, uh, this war in 1 Kings 20, it was only God. Only God could save the Israelites from this defeat. Nobody else could. Only God could. And likewise, it is only Christ that can save us from our sins and defeat of death. Now, when you think about the grace that God showed Ben-Hadad, or actually rather Ahab. You think of the grace that, that God showed Ahab here. The saddest part about all this that we'll soon see is that while God showed incredible grace to him, he still refused to see God for who he was. And he refused to submit to him. He refused to take God up on his, his grace. He refused to repent. But understand, tonight you don't have to do what he did. Again, God's grace was all over him. And right now, God's extending His grace to you. You can turn from your sin and be saved. You can trust on Christ and be forgiven. And you can have eternal life and enjoy the wonderful, amazing grace of God. So tonight, think about this. Have you experienced His wonderful grace? Do you have eternal life? Have you trusted on Christ as your Savior? Now, if you have, praise the Lord. There's so many 
a wonderful and convicting takeaways that, that we can gain from that passage in 1 Kings 20. First of all, as I already mentioned, we need not to compromise even in the face of the pressures of this world. You know, it's not just teenagers that, that face pressure to sin and pressure to go against God. Adults do too. The thing about this, do you fear God or do you fear man? May we not be controlled by the fear of man, but instead stand boldly for the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also consider this, when you consider King Ben-Hadad as he was consumed with gain, consider tonight, are you consumed with gain? Or are you consumed with Christ? May we be consumed with uh, satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ alone and not be consumed by greed and the pursuit of material possessions. But also consider this, do you trust in the word of God and the promise of God? Ahab, though he, he was evil, and though he did so many things wrong, in this instance he did right. He, he took God's promise at his word. And he went out to battle. But do you trust in the promise and words of God? May we trust in his promise, every promise that we find in scriptures, knowing that his grace and his mercy is sufficient for us, even in our weaknesses and even in our sin. I think of Paul, and he says that he, uh, in Corinthians, that he, he asked the Lord to take that thorn of the flesh away three times. But what did Christ say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you believe that? Is his grace enough? And also, consider tonight, do you rely on man-made means and yourself to provide? Or do you rely on the Lord? Again, Ahab... Another fault, he was concerned and didn't think that, that, that the Lord was going to be able to help him. He was looking at the, the army, he was looking at the horses, he was looking at the chariots, and he did not believe God. Well, what do you do? When you're faced with circumstances that, that look like they're beyond hope, do you look at God? Do you look to God? Or do you look at everything else? Do you look at your circumstances? But above all, I encourage us all, if we're saved tonight, to remember the amazing grace of God that He has bestowed on our lives. Remember the grace of God that He has shown on us at salvation and that He continues to show us every single day. If you're saved, God has shown you a tremendous amount of grace just in saving you, but every day is a gift of grace from our Almighty God. Thank God for His amazing grace. Are you grateful for His grace? Do you thank God for His grace? Won't you thank Him tonight for being so gracious to you? you know, I know that there's many people that are going through a lot of hard things. They're not the only ones. There's a lot of you, a lot of you in here, you're struggling with some stuff. And you may wonder, you say, may say, God, why would you do this? And you may maybe complain in your mind like the Israelites did. But guess what? It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is still gracious to you. He's given us so much more than we deserve. And I know sometimes it's easy when you're going through some stuff. You, you go, you're suffering a loss. You're dealing with a hard situation. It can be easy to say to yourself, well, God, I don't deserve this. Well, tell me, what do you deserve? God's blessed us beyond measure. So much more than we deserve. So tonight, let's be thankful to God for his amazing grace. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. <laughs>